Hello, and welcome to The Essential Reads. My name is Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of classic audiobooks in an easy and accessible way. Um, slight apology for those watching on YouTube, those listening on podcast platforms have nothing to worry about. But if you're listening on YouTube, I've done something very stupid, and I forgot to double check that I had transferred the video files from my SD card to my computer before formatting my card. So for the next three chapters, there will be no video... Um, yeah. If you want to support the show, please like, subscribe, uh, join the Patreon. Exclusive audiobooks are found there. Um, it's awesome. We have a good time. Let's dive in. Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain Chapter 32 When I got there, it was all still and Sunday-like and hot and sunshiny. The hands was gone to the fields and there was a kind of faint droning of bugs and flies in the air that made it seem so lonesome and like everybody's dead and gone. And if a breeze fans along and quivers the leaves, it makes you feel mournful, because you feel like it's spirits whispering. Spirits that's been dead ever so many years. And you always think they're talking about you. As a general thing, it makes a body wish he was dead too, and done with it all. Phelps's was one of these little one-horse cotton plantations, and they all look alike. A rail fence round a two-acre yard. A stile made of logs sawed off and upended, in steps like barrels of different length, to climb over the fence with, and for the women to stand on when they're going to jump onto a horse. Some sickly grass patches in the big yard, but mostly it was bare and smooth, like an old hat with the nap rubbed off. Big double log house for the white folks, Huge logs with the chinks stomped up with mud or mortar, and these mud straps been whitewashed sometime or another. Round log kitchen with big, broad, open, but roofed passage joining it to the house. Log smokehouse back of the kitchen. Three little log cabins in a row to the other side of the smokehouse. One little hut all by itself away down against the back fence, and some outbuilding down a piece to the other side. Ash hopper and big kettle to buy soap in by the little hut bench by the kitchen door with a bucket of water and a gourd. Hound asleep there in the sun. More hounds asleep round about. About three shade trees away off in a corner. Some currant bushes and gooseberry bushes in one place by the fence. Outside of the fence, a garden and a watermelon patch. Then the cotton fields begin, and after the fields, the woods. I went around and clumb over the back stile by the ash hopper and started for the kitchen. When I got a little ways up, I heard the dim hum of a spinning wheel, waiting along up and sinking along down again. And then I knowed for certain I wished I was dead, for that is the lonesomest sound in the whole world. I went right along, not fixing up any particular plan, but just trusting the Providence to put the right words in my mouth when the time come. For I'd noticed that Providence did always put the right words in my mouth if I left it alone. When I got halfway, first one hound, and then another got up and went for me, and of course I stopped and faced them and kept still. And such another powwow as they made. In a quarter of a minute, I was kind of a hub wheel, as you may like, spokes made out of dogs, a circle of fifteen of them packed together around me, with their necks and noses stretched up towards me, a barking and a howling, and more a-coming. You could see them sailing over fences and around corners from everywhere. A woman come tearing out of the kitchen with a rolling pin in her hand, singing out, be gone, you tigger, 
You spot, be gone, sir. And she fetched first one, then another on a cliff, and sent him howling, and then the rest followed. In the next second, half of them come back, wagging their tails around and making friends with me. And there ain't no harm in a hound no how. And behind the woman comes a little girl and two little boys without anything on but tow linen shirts. And they hung on to their mother's gown and peeked out from behind her at me. Bashful, the way they always do. And here comes the white woman, running from the house, about 45 or 50 years old, bareheaded, and her spinning stick in her hand. And behind her comes her little white children, acting the same way the little was doing. She was smiling all over so she could hardly stand, and says, It's you, at last, ain't it? I out with a yes'm, before I thought. She grabbed me and hugged me tight, and then gripped me by both hands and shook and shook. The tears come in her eyes and run down over. And she couldn't seem to hug and shake enough and kept saying, It's you, at last, ain't it? You don't look as much like your mother as I reckon you would. For lost sake, I don't care for that. I'm so glad to see you. Dear, dear, it does seem like I could eat you up. Children, it's your cousin, Tom. Tell him howdy. But they ducked their heads and put their fingers in their mouths and hid behind her. So she run on. Lizzie, hurry up and get him a hot breakfast right away. Or did you get your breakfast on the boat? I said I'd got it on the boat. So then she started for the house, leading me by hand, and the children taken after. When we got there, she set me down in a split-bottom chair and set herself down on a little low stool in front of me, holding both my hands, and says, Now I can have a good look at you. And laws of me, I've been hungry for a many and a many time all these long years. And it's come at last. We've been expecting you a couple of days or more. What kept you? Boat get ground? Yes'm, she... Don't say yes'm. Say Aunt Sally. Where'd you get a ground? I didn't rightly know what to say, because I didn't know whether the boat would be coming up the river or down. But I got a good deal on instinct. And my instinct said she'd be coming up from down towards Orleans. That didn't help me much, though, for I didn't know the names of the bars down that way. I see, I'd got to invent a bar, or forget the name of the one we got a ground on. Or, now I struck an idea, and fetched it out. It weren't the grounding. That didn't keep us back but a little. We blowed out a cylinder head. Goodness gracious. Anybody hurt? No. Killed a nigger. Well, it's lucky, because sometimes people do get hurt. Two years ago last Christmas, your Uncle Silas was coming up from New Orleans on the old lady rook, and she bought out a cylinder head and crippled a man. And I think he died afterwards. He was a Baptist. Your Uncle Silas knowed a family in Baton Rouge that knowed his people very well. Yes, I remember now. He did die. Morphication set in and had to amputate him. But it didn't save him. Yes, it was morphication. That was it. He turned blue all over and died in the hope of a glorious resurrection. They say it was a sight to look at. Your uncle's been up to town every day to fetch you, and he's gone again no more than an hour ago. He'll be back any minute now. You must have met him on the road, didn't you? Oldish man with a... No, I didn't see nobody, Aunt Sally. The boat landed just at daylight, and I left my baggage on the wharf boat and went looking around the town and out of peace in the country to put in the time and not get here too soon. And so I come down the back way. Who'd you give your luggage to? Nobody. 
What, child? It'll be stole. Not where I hit it, I reckon it won't, I says. How'd you get your breakfast so early on the boat? It was kind of thin ice, but I says. The captain seen me waiting around, told me I better have something to eat before I went ashore. So he took me in the Texas to the officer's lunch and gave me all I wanted. I was getting so uneasy I couldn't listen good. I had my mind on the children all the time. I wanted to get them out to one side and pump them a little to find out who I was. But I couldn't get no show. Mrs. Phelps kept it up and run on so. Pretty soon she made the cold chills streak all down my back because she says, But here we're running on this way and you ain't told me a word about sis, nor any of them. Now I'll rest my works a little and you'll start up yawn. Just tell me everything. Tell me about them all, every one of them, and how they are, and what they're doing, and what they told you to tell me, and every last thing you can think of. Well, I say I was up a stump, and up it good. Providence has stood by me thus far all right, but I was hard and right aground now. I say it wasn't a bit of use to try and go ahead. I got to throw up my hands. So I says to myself, here's another place where I got to risk the truth. I opened my mouth to begin but she grabbed me and hustled me in behind the bed and says, Here it comes. Stick your head down lower. There. That'll do. Can't be seen now. Don't you let on you're here. I'll play a joke on him. Children, don't say a word. I say I was in a fix now, but it weren't no use to worry. There weren't nothing to do but just hold still and try to be ready to stand from under when the lightning struck. I just one little glimpse of the old gentleman when he comes in. Then the bed hit him. Mrs. Phelps, she jumps for him and says, Has he come? No, says her husband. Goodness gracious, she says. What in the world can have become of him? No, I can't imagine, said the old gentleman. And I must say, it makes me dreadful uneasy. Uneasy, she says. I'm ready to go distracted. He must have come, and you must have missed him along the road. I know it's so. Something tells me so. Why, Sally, I couldn't have missed him along the road. You know that. But, oh, dear, dear, what will Sis say? He must have come. You must have missed him. He... Oh, don't distress me anymore. I'm already distressed. I don't know what in the world to make of it. I'm at my wit's end, and I don't mind acknowledging that I'm right down scared. But there's no hope he's come, for he couldn't have come up and me miss him. Sally, it's terrible. Just terrible. Something happened to the boat, sure. Why, Silas, look yonder, up the road. Ain't that somebody coming? He sprang to the window at the head of the bed, and that gave Mrs. Phelps the chance she wanted. She stooped down, quick, at the foot of the bed, and give me a pull. And out I come. And when he turned back from the window, and there she stood, a beaming and a smiling like a house of fire, and I standing pretty meeky and sweaty alongside. The old gentleman stared and says, Why, who's that? Who do you reckon it is? I hain't no idea. Who is it? It's Tom Sawyer. By jinx, I almost slumped to the floor, but there weren't no time to swap knives. The old man grabbed me by the hand and shook and kept on shaking, and all the time how the woman did dance around and laugh and cry, and then how they both did fire off questions about Sid and Mary and the rest of the tribe. But if they was joyful, 
it weren't nothing to what I was, for it was like being born again. I was so glad to find out who I was. Well, they froze to me for two hours, and at last, when my chin was so tired it couldn't hardly go no more, I told them more about my family, I mean the Sawyer family, than ever happens to any six Sawyer families. And I explained all about how we blowed out a cylinder head at the mouth of the White River and it took us three days to fix it, which was all right and worked first rate because they didn't know but what it would take three days to fix. If I called it a bolt head, it would have done just as well. Now I was feeling pretty comfortable all down one side and pretty uncomfortable all up the other. Being Tom Sawyer was easy and comfortable, and it stayed easy and comfortable, till, by and by, I hear a steamboat coughing up along down the river. Then I says to myself, suppose Tom Sawyer come down on that boat, and suppose he steps in here any minute and sings out my name before I can throw him a wink to keep quiet. Well, I couldn't have it that way. It wouldn't do at all. I must go up the road and waylay him. So I told the folks I reckoned I would go to town and fetch down my baggage. The old gentleman was for going along with me, but I said no. I could drive the horse myself, and I'd rather he wouldn't take no trouble about me. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, all that jazz, and if you really enjoyed, do subscribe because there is more to come. And if you're listening on podcast, please leave a review and or share and help get this in front of as many people as possible. And if you just really want to support me in this journey making audiobooks, then please join the Patreon. Uh, it is a very, very direct way to support me. And it, um, yeah, it would mean the absolute world to me. And you get some cool perks, like some f- awesome audiobooks that only you on Patreon would have access to. So if that sounds good to you, support me there. But in any case, I shall see you in a couple of days with another chapter. Thank you once again. And bye-bye.